The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 16. It's Wednesday evening. You have made it to the best place that you could possibly make it for cigars and Chicago sports and maybe some other sports as well. Setting the scene, we are smoking a cigar. We are at the place that is 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois. We're sitting back. We're talking. We've got some guys sitting around the room. We're arguing about whether Chris Bryant is a money whore, you know, all sorts of other things. But that's where we are. If you, by the way, would like to follow us on Twitter, and you better, you can get us at Cigars and Sports. That's at Cigars and Sports. You can also get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. But you know that because you're listening to this. And it is a podcast. Let's bring in my co-host, Phil Sullivan. Phil, how you doing? What's going on? How you smoking? How you feeling? Phil, what feeling are you smoking? Great. Everything's great. Uh, the weather got fantastic today. You know, talking about the cigar lounge, we moved some furniture outdoors. It's 75-degree weather. Couldn't have come any sooner. Baseball's starting. Big tournaments starting. The NCAA. So it's, uh, it's good for Phil right now. This is a fun time of year for me. And what are you smoking? Uh, tonight I'm going with a Nub Triple Cappuccino. Nice short smoke. I mean, size wise, but they're a little deceiving, you know. They're because good, they're, they're good, fat, they're ring fat, gauge, baby. Good ring gauge. You'll get a good 45 minute smoke out of it. But uh, it's, it's something I like to smoke. Okay, well, I'm smoking a La Flor Dominicana El Jaco Perfecto number two, but of course we can't talk about that because there's a very um, scary backstory about that cigar as it relates to the place. By the way, the place, the greatest cigar selection that you can find in any humidor anywhere in the western suburbs 5236 main street so what are we going to talk about tonight we got baseball free agency a lot of amazing stuff going on there including some breaking news you know maybe we'll talk a little baseball injuries um then we've got the ncaa tournament something that frankly if i must admit i don't follow as much as i do a lot of other things but we're going to talk about the ncaa tournament and we're going to talk a little nfl free agency including some of these quarterback moves which i think are really interesting we'll probably ignore the bulls tonight because i'm very frustrated about that situation right now but let's not worry about it and we have a special cigar guest in her name for national women's history month by the way although she'd be good on any month hannah martinez aka rojo carojo of the vault cigar lounge in meridian idaho so we're going to go out to idaho um hannah's got a lot of interesting stuff to say and we'll get to her in just a little bit so phil let's talk a little bit about baseball free agency and before we go into the detail there Breaking news, although it won't be breaking when you listen to this, probably on Thursday morning, Chris Bryant has proven that he cares about one thing and one thing only in the world, and that's money, as he has signed a seven-year, $182 million deal with, of all places, the freaking Colorado Rockies, a team that is horrible, an organization that is lost, an organization that communicates poorly with its players. They lose. They piss off all their players. They don't retain guys. I have no idea why he'd want to do that. Oh, yes, I do. He's a Scott Boris client. And he wanted money. But some other moves that have gone on, Matt Chapman was traded from the A's to Toronto today. Kyle Schwarber, you might remember that name. He signed with the Phillies for four years and $75 bucks. So a really good job to him. Seiya Suzuki signed with the Cubs for five years and $85 million, and he is a Japanese star playing for the first time in the major leagues and really is one of the top players in Japan and should be a really good fit for the Cubs. It's interesting that he selected the Cubs, but hey, let's give them credit. Very interesting signing today. Zach Greinke is returning to Kansas City where it all began for him for a one-year and $13 million deal, and that kind of upsets me because I wanted him to sign with the White Sox. The Reds acquired uh, Mike Miner. The Braves re-signed Eddie Rosario, Anthony Rizzo signed a two-year deal with the Yankees. Phillies added Juris Familia. You know, there were a bunch of trades with the Reds and with the Mariners. Then there was that blockbuster deal, Braves, A's, Matt Olson. So 
all sorts of stuff going on in Major League Baseball. And to get to the White Sox, they signed relief pitcher Joe Kelly and second baseman Josh Harrison. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But Phil, any thoughts from you just generally on this absolute frenzy in baseball free agency? Uh, it, it is crazy. It's it's nothing like we've ever seen before, seeing this many quality players in the same year out uh, shopping for uh, out shopping for new teams or new teams shopping for them, however way you want to put it. Uh, the Cubs signings, uh, you know, the Suzuki guy, obviously he did well in Japan. Uh, let's see how he does here. It's a, you know, it's a little different story, but uh, only thing I will know, it might be harder to see the game if you're sitting in the lower level of Wrigley Field because by adding that guy, you're going to add about 150 new Japanese photographers with three-foot-long camera lenses at the games. Which Interesting will probably, point. Which will probably obstruct your view. I say that because of a history. I, I took my kids once when they were teenagers, and we were down in Arizona, and I remember it was a preseason game with Etrios playing in the game, and uh, you couldn't see the game because of the 100 photographers that followed him everywhere he went. I thought it was pretty humorous at the time, but I, I don't think that trend's going to change any. Yeah, I agree. And uh, that is an interesting signing for the Cubs, too. They have been relatively quiet in free agency. And by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you win the offseason that you win the season, although their starting rotation is looking pretty light and Suzuki has not played in the major leagues before. He is highly sought after, so we'll see how that works out. Um, but, but I mean, the, as far as the you know the other signing they got, Andrelton Simmons, you know, which they only signed him for a one-year deal, but he probably was maybe the best free agent shortstop out there. And you know, you wonder, you start. What about Correa? Andrelton Simmons is garbage. He can't, he can't hit. He's garbage. He probably doesn't even field as well as he did. He's old. I wouldn't even put him on the field. I wouldn't hire him as a free agent to mow your lawn. Well, that statement was made to light the firecracker on you, and it certainly worked. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> uh, you don't know what the Cubs are doing here. In, in all seriousness, are the Cubs you know, trying to do a quick rebuild, uh, which they could possibly be trying to do? Uh, it certainly looked like in the last year, obviously what they did last year, like they were going into the garbage dumpster for a few years, um, but it almost looks like they're trying to do a, a fairly quick turnaround, which you never know. They plug a few more players in. They, uh, I don't know if they're going to get to championship level, but uh, it's certainly like they might make the season a little more interesting than I think a lot of their fans thought it was going to be. Well, I have a question for you on that. What do the NFC North and the National League Central have in common? Both leagues suck. Both divisions are the, dominated by, are the worst. Are the worst division in their sport, and every single team in both divisions in both divisions stink. And the only team that's a little bit good, and they're really not even that good. They just look good because the other teams all suck. Is a team from Wisconsin. So yes, the Brewers are a good team. I don't know if they're great. They haven't been able to win a playoff series the last couple of years, but you know, give them credit. But the rest of those teams, the Reds have unloaded their entire roster. I'll come back to them. The friggin' Pirates, are they even a Major League Baseball team? The Cubs, I mean, the Cardinals are like okay, but you know now they've got a bunch of injuries, including Jack Flaherty, their number one pitcher, and they're put together with like string and duct tape. So those those two divisions in different sports suck. Yeah, but with that being said, with the new playoff rules uh, and the new wild card situation. Uh, you know, you never know. It might only take a mediocre team in that particular division to squeak their way into the playoffs. Hey, speaking of the Reds and the National League Central, interesting fact. I don't know if you ran across it this week. I'm going to give you a trivia question. Do you know who the fourth highest paid player on the Cincinnati Reds is? I do not. Guess what? It's Ken Griffey Jr. The Reds are so bad... And so poor, actually. And actually, they have the poorest owner in baseball, but that's a whole other thing. We did not know this, but when Ken Griffey left the Reds, he gave them this financial break and signed this deferred comp deal where he basically gets $3.5 million for the rest of his life and the rest of like his children's lives and whatever else. So Ken Griffey Jr. is the fourth highest paid player right now on the Cincinnati Reds and is getting paid three and a half million. And it's amazing that we didn't even know that. It's like that Bobby Bonilla thing where he gets a million dollars every August 2nd for the rest of his life, which I think is pretty cool. That's good work if you can find it. 
That Bobby Bonilla thing, by the way, was the best contract in the history of sports. No, it, appe- <laughs> it appears it appears that this one is. Okay, so let's go to the important stuff and talk about the future world champion Chicago White Sox for a minute. So their two primary signings were uh, reliever Joe Kelly and old second baseman Josh Harrison. You know, he's a contact guy, good defender. He's been a very consistent player, you know, his entire career. Doesn't strike out a lot. He was in Oakland last year. He actually came up in Pittsburgh. You know, he's certainly a guy that you can slot in there. He's not going to hurt you defensively. He's a professional. He's going to fit in with that team because he's one of those charismatic, funny, very animated kind of guys. So he's going to be fun to watch. But, you know, first of all, Joe Kelly, you mentioned me this the other day. Oh, I'm so happy to have Joe Kelly. So am I. But Joe Kelly is always hurt, and he's hurt now. So, you know, we'll get back to that. But, yeah, I'm happy to have him. But what do you think about going into the season? I'm okay with that rotation that it appears that they're going to have in right field with Sheets and Vaughn. I'm fine with that. I'm fine. But how do you feel about Josh Harrison at second base? They had to plug somebody in there, you know, I think just to satisfy themselves and certainly satisfy their fans. They have a hole there. There's no doubt about it. Uh, are there better guys out there? You know, could be. But, I, you know, I don't think Harrison was a bad pick. You know, he's a 274, 275 career hitter. You know, the guy steals bases. He could plug that hole very well. Maybe. I mean, I guess. So what do you think yeah. of Valsquez? What do you think of that pickup? Um, that guy is a complete bum, Vince Vasquez. Um, he's always hurt. He's been hurt his entire career. He's like 29 years old. He's never done anything. Every year in spring training, people say, oh, my God, this guy's going to be really good. Then he pitches once in April, and he stinks. Then he pitches the next time, blows his arm out, and then comes back to spring training the next year. So I don't know what you think of him. That's what I think of him. Well, I agree with you, and that's why I was asking. I, I don't know why they took that guy. I mean, the guy – I think last year he was like, I don't know, 2 and 10, 3 and 9, something like that. He get a 6 something ERA. I, you know, he got sent down to Triple A at the end of the year, for God's sakes. Uh, I don't know what their thinking was in grabbing Well, they that. took him. They took him because they think he has some potential. He's apparently healthy right now. And because they're out of money and they just needed another starting arm, which brings me to my next point, which was I'm not sure what I was thinking was this situation, but does it surprise you? And I know it doesn't because I mentioned this to you the other day at the place, 5236 Downers Grove at the Cigars and Sports Chicago Studios. Does it surprise you that the White Sox have the fifth highest payroll in baseball? Because it did surprise me. Well, it didn't because they've always had a history of being one of the highest payrolls in baseball. They may have had a history of getting the worst results from some of the highest you know, payrolls in baseball. They always have had a history of signing uh, aging superstars at the total end of their careers. No, it didn't surprise me, but I think, uh, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. Uh, I, I predict the Sox, they have a very good year this year. There's no doubt, in my opinion, there's no doubt about it. I think they're going to have a good year. So the White Sox payroll, which is about $209 million right now, it doesn't shock me, and obviously they've signed a whole bunch of their stars to long-term deals you know, early in their career, like Luis Robert and, and Jimenez. And they signed Yasmani Grandel to that big contract a couple of years ago. But it is very interesting because the White Sox, the reason that it didn't occur to me that, relatively speaking, they had such a significant payroll is because they don't usually sign those guys to the mega deals, you know? I mean, like you don't think of them signing a guy for 200 million or 150 million, and they've never even had a hundred million dollar contract, but they do have a lot of guys that are making money. And it is interesting, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when some of these guys come due. Because after next year, you're going to have Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito being free agents, and probably the combination of those two guys is like 450 to 500 million, and we don't need to talk about that. But I just thought it was interesting that that be the case. And the other thing that I wonder is. Do you think that they now regret picking up that $16 million option on Craig Kimbrell, who they clearly have not been able to trade yet? Uh, that's certainly certainly going to put a little <laughs> dent in them. Uh, you know, what they do, it, I still think they're going to pull off a trade with him because uh, uh, he's got value out there, and I think the Sox, uh, I, I believe they'll find a way to get rid of him. There's no doubt. Well, they might find a way to get rid of him. I don't know if they're going to find anyone to, a way to get rid of him and have somebody take his $16 million because the way that it's looking right now, I would happily take a bag of balls for him if somebody would take his $16 million. And it disappoints me because one of the things that I always say about free agency 
is that there, you know, when you make a bad move, like let's use Jason Hayward with the Cubs as an example, it's not just about that move. It's about the fact that you then don't have the money to sign other guys. And I got to tell you, laugh at me if you want. And I mentioned this before. If I could have any guy that I wanted right now, the White Sox need another starting pitcher, and we can talk about this in a second. I'll go through the rotation. I wanted Zach Greinke. You know what I mean? Like, hey, throw him on the end of the rotation. He's 37 years old, but he was good last year. You know, he had like a 121 whip last year. I mean, he was solid. He, you know, he wore down a little bit in September. But, you know, if we're just talking about eating innings and needing another arm and a guy who could potentially do something in the postseason, and if you get a guy in a one-year deal for $13 million, which is what the Royals got him for, which it's kind of crazy, but it is kind of fun because that's restarted. It's not fun because now we're going to have to face him, and he's good. But that's the guy. I wanted because here's the rotation Giolito, Cease, Lance Lynn, Michael Kopech, and Dallas Keuchel. So there's your starting five. And I do not trust Dallas Keuchel. He was the worst pitcher in baseball last year after May 1st of any guy who threw 100 innings after May 1st last year. So he sucks, and I don't know how he's miraculously going to get good in his 82-mile-an-hour fastball. But the other problem is, yeah, we all love Michael Kopech, but I don't trust him either. You know, I don't know how many innings he's going to pitch. I don't trust Kopech as far as I can throw a pair of socks across the room. He's never sparked me at all. I, you know, he's constantly got an issue. You know, whether it was during COVID, sitting out a year, another injury, milking his injury, waiting till it's better. Boy, you talk about a guy with boatloads of potential that hasn't thrown a spark out there. Uh, that guy worries me more than anybody on that staff, more than Keuchel. And that's why a Granky would have been a great pick because they definitely, I agree with you, they need another starter. Well, you forgot about last year. What about if you remember Kopech got in an argument with his girlfriend or something and got in his pickup truck and drove to Texas and texted the White Sox that he was going to be out for a week or so because he was busy. I mean, I just physically and mentally, I don't trust the guy. Now, could I see Kopech throwing you know, 170 innings and having a great year? It's possible. But I'm just saying right now, you can't count on them. So we got two guys in the starting five that we don't trust. Then after that, you got Ronaldo Lopez. Yeah, he was good out of the bullpen, you know, in August and September last year. So fine. But, you know, I don't trust Ronaldo Lopez. I mean, maybe he'll be okay. I don't really know. Then you start getting into Garrett Crochet, who frankly... I wouldn't mind seeing him in the rotation now, but then you lose him out of the bullpen, although their bullpen looks pretty beefed up, so maybe you could afford that. And then the next guy after that is your buddy, Vince Vasquez. I mean, I'd rather have Vince Vaughn pitching than Vince Vasquez. Yeah, I mean, you look at the White Sox, and you know they certainly got stung last year early and often with injuries and more to field players than it was to pitchers. The odds that that'll happen to field players in mass like that, again, are, are slim. It's the pitching that worries me. Uh, you know, the game's always been about pitching, always will be. Uh, this pitching staff could be all-world, and you could, by June, have three of your five starters injured. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, and uh, that's the scary thing about the White Sox, uh, is these pitchers are all relatively fragile and uh, as it is with a lot of teams there's no doubt about it but uh, the White Sox this staff could be all world or you could see like I said you could see two or three of these guys out by June well what's the deal with injuries man I know this is something you're always obsessed with because you say that baseball players shouldn't get hurt you know we found out this week Fernando Tatis had not one but two motorcycle accidents and broke a wrist, and he's out for the entire first half of the year. Chris Sale had some kind of mystery injury at home, or he's got a fractured rib. He's out for two months. You know, the Cubs have guys like Ian Happ. You know, he has some kind of elbow injury and had surgery, and he's going to, you know, he's on the shelf for some period of time. You know, we mentioned Joe Kelly is hurt. Advert Adzele for the Cubs also. He's got some kind of problem, and he's going to be out for a number of weeks. He's shut down 
around, at least for this period of time. There are so many guys with injuries, and I think part of it has to do with not being able to get health care from their respective franchises during the lockout. But um, what do you think about this whole injury thing? Because I know uh, that it's yeah. something that pisses you off as an old man. Well, <laughs> yeah, it, it could be one of my old man rants, but this is something I've noticed forever in baseball. It never ceases to amaze me that spring training will start and within two weeks, you'll pick up the paper or whatever you want to read uh, about your sports, and you'll see injuries galore. And they're goofy injuries. They're tendon injuries or muscle injuries or a tweak this. Or, and it, it never ceases to amaze me. Like, can't these guys report to camp and uh, kind of be ready to play ball? It's just instant that you'll see half a dozen guys per team. And you read about some of these injuries and you got to think that hockey players or football players would laugh at the fact that they can't play through some of these things that these guys show up at camp with. Now, a lot of them get through it, but it just always amazes me that they show up at camp and within a week or two, you're hearing about they got to, you know, they can only jog for two weeks or they can't do this or that. It just sometimes drives me nuts. It, it, It appears a lot of times they're not quite ready to get the ball rolling. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. I mean, clearly they want to play, so I don't know what the issue really is. It's not like guys don't get hurt in other sports as well, but there do seem to be a lot of injuries, at least at this point. The White Sox are relatively healthy compared to a hell of a lot of other teams, so we'll take that. So as far as I'm concerned, every team in the major leagues can have tons of injuries, and as the White Sox are good, I don't really care about injuries. Phil, let's talk a little cigars now. And we are going to bring in our very special guest. And that very special guest is Hannah Martinez. Hannah is in Meridian, Idaho. So we're going to go slightly out of Chicago now, just a little bit. You know, I'm sure everyone um, hangs in, uh, in Idaho a lot. And maybe you'll want to after you hear from Hannah. But Hannah, a.k.a. Rojo Corojo, she is in the cigar business. She works with her husband at a premier and premium cigar place called The Vault in Meridian, Idaho. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, Hannah Martinez. Hey, what's going on? Hey, good to be here. How's everything? How's uh, how's life in the cigar world? It's good. It's both fast and slow pace at the same time. <laughs> so um, how's, first of all, the, the weather in Meridian, Idaho these days? You know, a lot of people in other parts of the country, as you may know, except for maybe in the Pacific Northwest, tend to think of Idaho as this abstract place. And they actually don't know, and I'm sure you're well aware of it, that Idaho is the hottest state in the United States. That, you know, back in the day when Californians used to move to Colorado, now they all move to uh you know to idaho they go to boise that kind of thing so how's everything going in idaho what's the weather like uh tell us why it's great over there yeah uh, more than just potatoes that's for sure yeah so meridian is a suburb of boise and so i think this last summer we had it was a particularly hot summer we had probably a good three to four maybe even five week span where Almost every day was over 100 degrees. It's a drier heat, though. I think that is a little bit hotter than normal. And then during the, during the winters, it, it does get pretty cold, but also a, a drier cold. It only snows maybe a couple of times during the winter time. So. so similar to maybe, you know, Washington weather, since, you know, for those of you who are familiar with maps, um, it is a neighboring state. So so my first question is, and, and obviously I ran across you on Instagram. So I personally would at least consider you to be a major cigar influencer <laughs> on Instagram. And by the way, you go by the name Rojo Corojo. I so, do. Um, by the way, for anyone listening, please go to Instagram at Rojo Corojo. Um, you can check Hannah out and what she's got going on. She's always talking about cigars. She's smoking cigars. She's uh, doing a bunch of uh, very smoky reels recently. Mm-hmm. So tell us about what you're doing on Instagram and what's going on and where the name Rojo Corojo came from. Yeah. You know, um, my husband had started his Instagram probably about three or four years ago. And, um, one night we were just sitting on the back patio and we were smoking a cigar and I was looking at a few of his pictures and it just kind of dawned on me. Like, I, why don't I make one? Like I can do this, you know, I like, who knows where this could take us, take me, you know? And so I started the page about six months ago and a little over 6,000 followers. So continuing to build a little by little. But when I was thinking about what my handle would be, 
I was like, I, I want something that's like still cigar related, but still like a hat is kind of clever, but like has a little elements of me in there. And so I just started out like making a list of just potential names. And um, Corojo is a variety of tobacco, um, Cuban seed tobacco that um, is primarily grown in Honduras now. But I was just thinking about different like cigar words and what rhymed with those cigar words. And uh, <laughs> that's how I came out with Rojo Corojo because I'm a redhead. So Rojo kind of made, made sense there. And so I just put them together and Rojo Corojo was born. I think it's great. Yeah. And I actually may come up with a uh, synonym nickname for myself um, that has to do with um, old man and still having hair and something having to do with cigars. So uh, yeah, I, I really like that. Now, I think the important question on that too, is that who has more followers now, you or your husband? I mean, that's an obvious question. That's an obvious answer. I do. <laughs> I do. I have about twice as many followers as him now. Yeah, of course. I was gonna, you know, I was gonna disparage him for his follower count, but then I figure, you know, he'll be listening to this soon, so you know, I don't want to go too far. Don't want to get in trouble with, uh, you know, with with people's family. Tell us about the vault, and uh, you know, what do you do over there? Where does that place stand in the Boise, uh, you know, cigar industry? It seems like you guys have an amazing place. I mean, if you look at it online, you know, I guess a former bank building it looks like yeah. a really cool place. But uh, tell us about that. Yeah, it's right in Old Town, Meridian, Idaho, and so it's in this small little strip of antique buildings, and yeah, it used to be a bank, and when the owner had purchased it, he, you know, dug out the actual vault that was in there and kind of transformed it into a cigar lounge, and just about a year ago, we renovated and put in a full bar, got our liquor license, put in a full patio, so we're doing big things. Wow. There's a there's only about three cigar shops in the Boise area, so we're one of three. But So are you telling me that the smoking laws in Idaho allow you to both sell alcohol and cigars in the same place? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Because yeah. as you know, there's very few places like that left. It is a true gem. And um, actually, one of the popular things that we're doing right now is we offer like not only cigar 101 classes, but also spirits 101 classes. So we'll have uh, different people That's come cool. in and we'll do different flights of, you know, whiskeys or scotch or vodka or beer or whatever we're featuring. So um, people really love that. Cool. Cigar 101 sounds like a really cool idea because, you know, a lot of times people want to get into something, but they don't know where to start. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny. It almost reminds me of, you know, how Apple, I, I don't know if they still do it, but they would do those basic tech classes for old people in the Apple store who mm -hmm. were like ashamed to admit they didn't know how to use their phone. <laughs> um, but it sounds, but that sounds pretty cool. Because, so tell me, what do you, um, what do you teach in a, uh, in a one-on-one class? Tell, tell us all about that. They just kind of start with the basics of, you know, mild, medium, full-bodied, um, the construction of a cigar with a filler, binder, and wrapper, and yeah, just kind of going on from there and knowing how to cut and light and all the things so that you don't look like a noob. <laughs> so what do you smoke? You know, what do you like? What do you prefer? Obviously, you know, it is uh, National Women's History Month, and, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot on this show is that women tend to be underrepresented in the in the cigar community although it appears that that is changing a little bit because cigars <laughs> are becoming really really popular again and they seem to be more popular with women but i guess speaking specifically of yourself what do you like to smoke how often do you smoke you know kind of tell me about your smoking habits yeah i i pretty much like a little bit of everything i think it really depends on when I'm smoking, where I'm smoking, what cigar in procession I'm smoking, um, what mood I'm in. So yeah, I like mild, medium, full. I like the spicy ones. I like the mild, creamy ones. I like pretty much like it a little bit of everything. Um, in terms of smoking habits, like how often I smoke, um, really depends on the day. It just about every day. Um, 
Sometimes it's more than one, sometimes it's none at all, but generally it's just about every day now. You know, it's interesting you should say that because I recently have discovered a life philosophy that anything that is worth doing is worth doing every day. If you don't want to do it every day, then what's the, what's the point of ever doing it? So I think that's, uh, that's probably, probably a good idea. First of all, what is the breakdown in, you know, in the vault? Do you see, I assume you guys have memberships and that sort of thing, and you have probably people walking in off the street. Do you see a lot of women? Do women come in? Do they usually, you know, when they do come in, a lot of times we'll see that, you know, women come in a lot of times with their, you know, husband or significant other or whatever the case may be. Do you see a lot of women in general? They come in solo, come in with other people. What's the take Mm -hmm. on that? I would say probably the vast majority of women that come through um, are either just purchasing cigars and and leaving, you know, as a gift for their husband or boyfriend or dad or whoever. And then actually we've probably seen a little bit more like a higher percentage of women that have come through, especially within the last year. But I think um, that's probably attributed to uh, implementation of the bar. So, you know, now like a couple can come in and if their spouse isn't super into smoking cigars, they can have like a really well-crafted cocktail or whatever it is. As far as like, female cigar smokers, I'd say that's a little bit more rare. Um, I don't know the exact percentage that, that we see, but, um, there aren't, there aren't a lot. Yeah. Because it's interesting in our place. And by the way, it's called the place 5236 main street, Downers Grove, Illinois. We actually do get a fair amount of women, interestingly, and that's been growing if a woman comes in and is maybe asking you for a recommendation, so say a woman comes in and they see Hannah Martinez, a.k.a. Rojo Corojo, smoke a cigar, and they're like, oh, you know what? It's That's amazing. They're not used to seeing um, women smoking cigars and, you know, you are whatever. So if I wanted to check that out, can you make me a recommendation? Because we find that a lot of times when that happens, sort of the stereotype is you'll have some guy, like, bring them over to the flavored cigars or mm. whatever the case may be, you yeah. know, d- disrespect them. Right. But you know, what, what would you, or what do you recommend to women? And maybe how do you get to that point? Because sometimes there is uh, a relation in the palate between, you know, what maybe somebody drinks and how they might mm-hmm. pair a cigar with it. But sure. so kind of what's your take on recommendations? Yeah. I mean, I, I pretty much start with the same, at the same place with every customer that comes in, you know, whether a female is coming in to smoke for herself or her partner just purchasing as a gift or whatever, I basically just start at the same place and say, you know, is there anything I can help you find? And then from there that I kind of let them point me in the direction that they're wanting me to give more information about. If they are wanting a flavored cigar, I will point them in that direction. But if they're wanting recommendations for a really nice gift, or if they want something for themselves that's mild, medium, or full-bodied, then I can kind of work on those different details and uh, help them find what they what they need. Has the bar obviously really cranked up the cigar business? Yes. People love that. People love, love having, you know, a glass of whiskey or scotch or whatever it is with their cigar. And, um, the bar has definitely made the vault just even more special, you know, because the options are endless for different pairings and the abilities to, um, explore the different alcohols that we have and everything like that. So people love it. Yeah, that sounds great. And, you know, um, as I think about it, I am going to be in um, Spokane next month, and I may mm-hmm. need to make a trip over the border to uh, to come see you guys now that, I've, yeah. now that I've got an intro to the vault. I guess in terms of business, something that we a lot of times will ask our guests that are in the cigar business, and it's just something I'm curious about. How is the pandemic, assuming that you guys have, have pandemics in Idaho, but mm-hmm. uh, how, is the, how did the... Um, pandemic affect the cigar business specifically for you? Did you see, you know, an uptick in business? You know, what went on with that related to you guys? Yeah, I honestly, the pandemic boosted numbers for us in a lot of different ways. And, you know, that kind of came from 
you know, the average cigar customer is maybe smoking one or two cigars a day or a week or something at in the evening to now that cigar customer is now working from home and can smoke six cigars a day, you know, is smoking all day now instead of just in the evening. Just in terms of the volume that, you know, was being sold definitely went up quite a bit. So we didn't necessarily feel the effects of uh, the pandemic financially in the same way that other businesses did. Yeah, we have found with everyone that we talked to that the pandemic definitely a boon for the cigar business, just because mm-hmm. more people at home, people were more bored, you know, yeah. smoke cigars in the backyard or at the vault or wherever you may be. Um, yeah. Certainly something to do. And there's this amazing thing about tobacco um, is that please don't tell anybody, but it evidently has this addictive um, quality. So um, <laughs> particularly if you start smoking every day, um, you want to smoke every day even more, or that's mm-hmm. certainly what I have found o- over the last uh, 30 years or so. So yeah, that's, uh, that's really cool. I heard a rumor that you were a uh, former college soccer player. So I want to hear about your soccer career. So tell me about that first. And that it's interesting because it seems like cigars and sports are becoming more of a thing. You know, you see Mm -hmm. more and more athletes kind of after wins and just in general kind of sporting cigars. So first of all, tell me a little bit about your, your kind of soccer career and uh, whether, you know, what your take is on athlete smoking. Sure. So I played uh, all through college. My freshman season was at Eastern Washington University. And then I transferred to Concordia University in Portland, um, played there for three years. And yeah, we did pretty well. We, my senior season, we won the national title. So that was, that was wow. pretty fun. That is awesome. Yeah, it was it was an amazing experience for sure. We, the tournament was in in Orange Beach, Alabama, so it's like right on the the ocean right there. It's gorgeous, so it was it was great. So before we go into um, cigars and uh, and sports and your <laughs> take on that, so obviously you must have a take on the women's soccer pay equality issue, right? Yeah, you know. I've not fully read up on it as much as I probably should, but from what I have, what I do know about it is that I'm not on the same page as the women's soccer team in terms of wanting equal pay from the men's team. I think something like a a professional sport is based off of um, revenue and like how many people are watching. And I mean, like all of that matters. Like there's a reason why, you know, football players and basketball players make millions and millions of dollars. It's because like millions and millions of people watch them and, you know, they have their own day of the week. Unfortunately, women's sports just aren't there. Like as popular as the women's soccer team is, you know, they still don't pull the numbers that the men's sports do. And so, you know, because the revenue just isn't the same, it would not make sense to me for them to make the same amount of money. It's interesting because, you know, I believe in that as a concept, meaning that whoever generates the most revenue probably should make the most money. Right. But as it relates to that issue with, say, the women's USA soccer team, I don't know exactly what the revenue is, but I can't imagine that the women, when it comes to the Olympic stuff and the World Cup, that the women's U.S. team has to generate more money than the men's does. It just has to. Mm-hmm. Because think about it. When we when you watch that women's, I'm not a huge soccer guy, but when you mm-hmm. you know when you watch that USA women's soccer stuff, when it, you know when there's a World Cup or the Olympics or whatever, mm-hmm. everyone in America knows at least three or four you know kind of stars from that team. And I can't name any men's soccer player anywhere, probably on earth, but definitely an American men's soccer team. And I mean, the women get better ratings when it comes to those major Olympic and World Cup events. So if they're, as far as I'm concerned, if they're generating more revenue and that stuff, then they should be getting more money. But Sure, absolutely. And I guess like, I don't know exactly what the numbers are comparatively. So I guess like, I can't speak into those details from... The bits and pieces that I've heard about the settlement is that I heard that the women's team was losing their maternity leave and like different things because they were having their 
revenue based on like individual contracts and stuff. So I'm not sure if you know more about that than I do, but. Um, I know there is something that I know is that I believe that um, women in all situations sh should be, should get paid maternity leave because mm -hmm. I know so few men that have had children that it would appear <laughs> that if we want to reproduce, this is our medical section. Um, if, if um, we want to reproduce as humans, that women are a really important part of that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. Pretty um, essential. I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, it's, it, it's, it's weird. It seems like you would think that smoking or at least smoking cigars and being an athlete don't go together. I mean, obviously that's not mm -hmm. the case for you. What's your, what's your take on that? You know, I was actually, I was really thinking about the stereotype of cigar smoking and you know, that being paired with athletes or, you know, even just the average person who is active. I honestly feel like I don't blame people for thinking negatively about cigars because like, how could they think differently? You know, because yeah. you have the medical world on one hand that is telling them that it's unhealthy and terrible for you. And then you have the lawmakers on the other side saying the same thing. So I almost feel like it's impossible for the, you know, someone who doesn't know anything about cigars um, to think any differently or to overcome that kind of stigma. I absolutely do believe that they can coexist. You know, I run a lot and I'm still playing soccer and I smoke a lot of cigars and, <laughs> you know, it's working out for me. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to uh, wrap it up here, but mm -hmm. I guess most importantly, if people want to find out more about you or the vault, please tell us um, how they can do that. How can they follow you on Instagram? You know, how can they get in touch with you? Kind of give us whatever contact information you'd like to. Yeah. Um, so my Instagram is um, my handle is just Rojo Corojo. And then my husband's handle is Cigar Rapper. That's exactly how it sounds. <laughs> and then uh, right, I'm going to check him out. I'm checking him out now. Yes. Um, and then the vault also has their, uh, own page as well, which I believe is, um, uh, vault cigar lounge. So, um, but I also tag them in a lot of my posts as well. So you can probably find them through a few different avenues. I have found, um, cigar wrapper. He is clearly, um, a Mariners fan and, uh, is Jeff El Jefe Martinez. Yeah, so, uh, we'll give a shout out to him as yeah. well. So thank you so much, Hannah Martinez. Really appreciate you being on. It was great. It was great talking to you. Um, the, uh, when I'm in the area, definitely stop by. Yeah, and, please do. Uh, thanks a lot for, for coming in and uh, telling us about the vault. It's great. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Phil, I don't see how we could possibly not talk about the NCAA tournament, college basketball. I know that it is the most fun time of the year in sports for many people, uh, but I am not many people, and I do not follow college basketball all that much. I'm not sure what the reason is. I guess you can only do so many things, and I can't watch every show on Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, Amazon Prime, and every other um, every other show place, and watch every Bulls game, every White Sox game, every NFL game. You know, there's only so many things you can do, so I neglect college basketball. That said, I am 29 years old. Just kidding, I'm 55. But I am 55 years old. I have never once done an NCAA tournament bracket until yesterday, and my 16-year-old son asked me to do a bracket and so we could compete each, against each other. I did do a bracket, so I don't really know much about it, but I did it. I'm, you know, as smart as any other dummy that probably does a bracket. So why don't you uh, take us through the NCAA tournament, your thoughts, and, uh, you know, take us through. Uh, kudos to your son to get you involved in this. Yeah, because I think they said uh, the other day that 60% of all adult Americans will be placing some sort of a wager uh, during this tournament, which is an astounding number when you think about it. Uh, I think all the avenues to watch this tournament now and all the hype they put into it certainly has uh, upped the, uh, the the gambling aspect, it, yet it was always at an all-time high when it comes to sports this next couple of weeks. But, you know, and that's a whole other subject in itself. This legalized gambling thing, what it has done has just exploded. And then, you know, to see the amount of money that is wagered, and I did not look up the total number, but I, I, I would guess it's in the billions of dollars that's gambled. Uh, I'm sure you know, in this turn in this tournament for the next couple of weeks. 
it, it amazes me. I, I almost, uh, I'm fearful in a sense if, uh, you know, only time will tell in the next five, 10 years what all this legalized gambling add on to all the illegal gambling and what it's doing to, you know, especially a generation of young adults and where this could be leading. Uh, you got these athletes playing, uh, you know, they're, they're technically amateurs. Um, you know, if you look at the tournament, you got, what, 12 guys on a team. So you got 64 teams. You've got eight, 900 athletes playing in this tournament that's worth billions of dollars. And, you know, I know some of these athletes can now make money on their name, but out of those eight or 900 guys, there's probably only 30 or 40 that are making any significant money on their names. So it's a lot of money for a lot of amateurs, and uh, it never ceases to amaze me, but it still excites me to watch this tournament. Yeah, I'm probably going to bet on some games, although I won't know um, what the hell I'm doing, so I guess I'll guess. So what do you think about the games? What are you looking forward to? Who do you have in your Final Four? What are your thoughts? You know, everybody likes to see the underdogs. They love betting for the underdogs. They like to see the upsets. Uh, I don't think you're going to see as many of those this year. I, you know, the top teams in their brackets, I think, are uh, far ahead of the other teams in their brackets. Uh, I think Gonzaga is uh, certainly going to get to the Final Four, in my opinion. Uh, you know, you go down to another bracket, I think you got Baylor as a number one seed. I think they're the number one overall seed, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think they got a lot of challenges in their division. Um, they're going to have to come up possibly against North Carolina. They're not the North Carolina pass by no means. Uh, eventually, they may run into Purdue. Uh, Purdue's had a decent season in the Big Ten. You know, the Big Ten team tends to beat up on each other pretty good. I don't think they can run with Baylor, though, so I think you're going to see a Gonzaga-Baylor in the Final Four. Uh, you know, going the other route, almost the same thing. Arizona, I don't see too many teams uh, are going to give them much of a run. Villanova might, uh, but I don't think they can run with them. And then back in the other bracket, you got Kansas as a number one seed. And, uh, you know, there's some sleeper teams in there, believe it or not. I think, uh, you know, South Dakota State could be a sleeper team. You know, if I want to go with some long shots, Iowa could sneak in there. Um, Auburn certainly has a good team, but I think Miami, Miami of Florida's got a great team this year, and I think Miami and Auburn are going to have to see each other early in the tournament. Uh, so, we'll, you know, we'll see how some of that shakes out. That's the one bracket I think you could see a lower seed sneak into the Final Four, but I certainly don't see any problem in those other three brackets seeing the number one seeds get to the Final Four. Well, I don't know much about anything, but my Final Four is Gonzaga, Baylor, Arizona and Wisconsin. So, and then I guess I've got, um, I guess I've got Arizona beating Gonzaga in the, uh, you know, in the finals. But um, what do I know? But it will be interesting because now I've got a rooting interest. You know, I can uh, compete against my son. I, he's one of these guys that I guess does like forty-seven brackets, which to me kind of defeats the purpose of it. But I guess you know they do. Um, hey. Has anyone ever had a perfect bracket? Has anyone uh, ever I, won every bet? I, I don't believe it's happened. I know I don't know if it's ESPN or uh, or what it is, but there's one of them out there that's uh, got a ten million dollar prize if you put through a perfect bracket. So, but I don't believe it's ever been done as far as on the betting side. I feel like I probably will be able to do it this year, and that will be so good because the $10 million will come in really, really handy. Um, I could take an extra vacation this year, so that'd be great. Maybe okay. I'll negotiate a new, a new contract for our show. Um, you probably should do that. Phil, let's talk a little bit of NFL. We have to. It's Cigars and Sports Chicago. We can never get, a, get a, away with that. And there have been a lot of interesting things going on. The amazing thing is is that there has been all of this free agent frenzy stuff in baseball, but today was the first official day of free agency in the NFL, and there were there have been tons of moves in the NFL this week as well. Um, the, the Bears have been relatively quiet. You know, they've signed Lucas Patrick. They, they uh, Og, you know, uh, Ogajobi. Um, they cut Danny Trevathan today. They signed, uh, they signed uh, Morrow. They signed um, Simmons. So, you know, they've, they've signed a few guys. Um, you know, they've beefed up the offensive line a little bit, although they lost James 
Daniel. So I guess we'll we'll see on that. I uh, thought it was pretty interesting. Julio Jones got cut today. Um, but I guess before we go into some of this quarterback stuff, which I'd like to talk about a little bit as a follow-up to last week, any thoughts on what the Bears have done in free agency? Uh, you know, no, I think that Olin Joby's a good pick. It didn't surprise me that their new head coach with a defensive background grabbed a defensive guy. Uh, they gave the guy a pretty good amount of money. I think they gave him $45 million for three years, uh, 26 of it guaranteed. Uh but, you know, they need to build, obviously need to bolster that offense. Um, receivers, uh, I think the Bears' patience um, will pay off uh, on the checkbook side. I mean, the Jaguars, uh, what well, they signed Christian Kirk for $85 million or something like that right out of the chute. But a number of other receivers, you know, were signed on right after that. And I, the salaries quickly uh, came a little bit back down to earth. So I think that Christian Kirk, uh, you know, struck lightning in a bottle with that kind yeah. of thing. But, uh, you know, the Bears, you know, getting those two draft picks in the second round, um, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. Let's see how they do uh, with those two draft picks that they picked up because if they hadn't picked them up, they didn't have shit going into this year as far as the draft. But uh, let's see how they do it. Uh, they are definitely got to build up that offensive side of the ball. Now, do you start with receivers or do you start with linemen? Uh, you want to protect that quarterback, I guess you got to start with linemen. But uh, what do you think about that? The um, First of all, the Jaguars, with that Christian Kirk and a couple other signings they've made, they're screwing it up for everybody because as soon as he signed that deal, and this is probably good for us, but Devontae Adams in Green Bay, who got franchised, said that he would not play on the franchise tag because he's seeing that deal, and if that dude gets $80 million, then he wants, you know, a hundred and. 80 million and and he probably deserves it based on that. So I don't know. Um, you know, as far as the bears go, I think it's too early to tell, you know, they're showing at least some discipline and not just going out there and throwing away all their money. Personally, I feel like the move would be do as well as you can on the offensive line in free agency, meaning that if you can get one of these premium left tackles um, or maybe even a right tackle or maybe even a left guard, um, if you can get premium talent on the offensive line, by all means, spend your money there. I would probably use both of the second round picks on wide receivers and particularly based on the fact that it is a very, very deep draft for receivers. So as far as I'm concerned, take two of them because you know that one of them will pan out. You know what I'm saying? Like if you take two and you have a brain, one of them is going to pan out. And then I would fill in with, you know, just guys sort of like they did last year. Like you'll find some, some guys out there. And then in the end, if you want to give Fields a veteran target, maybe go out there and sign, you know, if you get him on a one-year deal and he can stay healthy for half the season, go out and get Julio Jones for one year and four million. Go out and get you know T.Y. Hilton for one year and three million or two and a half million or something like that if he still wants to play. Now those guys are not going to be with you when you win, but it probably wouldn't be a bad idea for him to have a veteran target to throw to. So it will be very interesting to see how that works out. Um, but I think at this point it's too early to tell. We'll probably know a little bit more when we talk on Cigars and Sports Chicago next week. But I think the real interesting thing in the NFL right now is this whole thing with the quarterbacks. You know, we talked last week about the guys that have already made their moves. Um, since then, uh, Tom Brady came out of retirement. Probably a surprise to no one in the world except for maybe his wife and his kids. But I guess we'll find out more on the backstory on that in the future. So we got the great Mitch Trubisky. He signs in Pittsburgh, and I just want to go. I want to go on the record that um, I wish him well. I think it's possible that he will be successful in Pittsburgh. I'm not predicting it, but frankly, I hope he does. Certainly, I hope that Justin Fields is better than him because then that will have shown that we made a real mistake. Um, but I wish Mitch Trubisky well, and who knows that may work out really well. That contract they signed him to, considering they have no no uh, quarterback, is pretty creative. You know, it's kind of weird. Last night, you got Baker Mayfield saying goodbye to Cleveland, even though he's still there and they haven't gotten a replacement yet, although they're working on Deshaun Watson. But that tells me that they've told him they're moving on. But to me, the most interesting thing of all of this stuff was really a couple things. Um, 
One is the Colts are like a Super Bowl quality roster with no quarterback, so who are they going to get? But that leads into the next thing. So Deshaun Watson is going to get traded, and I, I would think that he's probably going to get traded by tonight or tomorrow based on the way that people's salary cap works. The teams that, that he has been talking to because they, um, he told the Texans that he wants to have a conversation with the teams before he gets traded. So we had a conversation with New Orleans, and I have absolutely no idea how they would fit him under the cap, so I don't know how that's going to work. Um he had a conversation with Cleveland. He had a conversation with the Carolina Panthers, which quite frankly, I think that based on his sort of uh, moral and character dilemma, that might be the best place for him since he went to uh, Clemson. So they probably just generally have an affinity for him. So maybe that's not a bad idea. But I think the interesting wild card is he is from, Deshaun Watson is from Atlanta, when he was a kid, he was a Falcons ball boy. He evidently has a relationship with the Falcons owner, um, Arthur Blank. And um, that would be really interesting. And they have evidently officially notified Matt Ryan that they're trying to get Deshaun Watson um, and that they would deal him. But what do you, I guess, first of all, what are your thoughts on this whole Deshaun Watson thing? You know, and I guess to put you on the spot, would you want him if he was available based on knowing what you know about his character? Well, yeah, his character is certainly an issue. Um, you know, it goes back to, you know, you could go back to the old Bulls days that uh, you wouldn't have found a Bulls fan anywhere that would want any ex-Detroit Piston on their team. Yet they certainly welcomed Dennis Rodman with open arms. But he didn't have near the issues that this Deshaun Watson has. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I agree with you. I think we mentioned it last week that I think uh, Watson, in my opinion, I think he's going to end up in the Carolina-Atlanta area because I think he wants to be closer to home and closer to his people. Let's put it you, that way. You, you spoke to him? No, I didn't ask. Well, I mean, you said he wanted to be closer to home, and that, that was right. your thought. Okay, right. so here's That's an interesting thought. thing. So I personally, I, I have developed a skill to separate the art from the artist in recent times. So therefore, I can acknowledge that Deshaun Watson is an excellent quarterback, probably a top five quarterback in the NFL. And we lost it last season in play in 2020, even though he's a first-class scumbag and has 22 civil cases against him, many of them accusing him of rape. Yes, he is out of criminal charges, but I just can't root for a guy like that personally. But I wouldn't necessarily blame another team for making whatever decision that they need to make. But here's my question, which I think is incredibly interesting. So I actually don't have it in front of me, but I believe that the uh, that the Seahawks got two two firsts, two seconds, and three players for um, Russell Wilson. Do you think that Deshaun Watson will get will yield in a trade more than that? Less than that, or about the same? I don't think he'll get more than that, that's for sure. And like you said before, certainly his uh, his character issues are at the lowest of the low, and I think teams are definitely going to take that into consideration, as they should. Yeah, but there's um, a market for him. But, like there's mul- It only takes one team, and there's well, multiple teams that want him. Right. There's certainly plenty of pro teams that have certainly looked past uh, their players' uh, personal histories because of their athletic talent level. And Deshaun Watson certainly uh, excels in that. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But, you know, it's a coin toss. He's uh, he's a strange dude. And uh, where he goes with his thoughts and where he's going to want to play, he certainly has that no-trade clause. He certainly has a lot of input of where, is he, where he's going to go, where he wants to go. Um, so, it's a, to me, it's a coin toss. I said a good chance, in my opinion, he might end up in Seattle. Who knows where this guy's going to end up? No, he's not going to Seattle. We know the teams because they've announced that, the teams oh, okay. they're talking to. But do you think that you're going to get at least two first-round picks for um, for Deshaun Watson? Yes I or no? you, you got to make a prediction. I think you will. Yeah, so do I. I think you might, crazily enough... I think you might get three first-round picks for him. I think you're going to get at least two first-round picks and more. I think it will be a... So Russell Wilson got traded for the largest package in NFL history, and I think Deshaun Watson is going to be similar, maybe a little less, but maybe even a little more. And for people who don't think that, I mean, I will be proven wrong, but I just think he's going to get a lot. 
So that's the uh, that's the NFL for now. Phil? Well, I did uh, have a, yeah. before you drop the NFL, I got a question on the NFL. And since we were talking a little bit earlier uh, about, or I was going on a little rant about gambling, our friend Tom Brady. So mm. I'm thinking about this guy. He comes out of retirement now. Do you know that when he went into retirement that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were a plus 2,500 odds to win the Super Bowl? Do you know that they are now about plus 800? So what does that do for the gamblers that uh, placed their bets when they were plus 2,500? Those those uh, lucky guys, do they get to keep those tickets? Of course. I mean, a, a betting ticket is a contract. Yes. Yes, you, they do. You, uh, no, I, I, I guess I framed it as a question. I was more uh, trying to claim it as a statement that... Uh, Boy, does that throw things off balance when players decide to make moves like that when it comes to the gambling world. Yeah, and the funny thing is, too, is that really anyone probably could have predicted that he wasn't retiring as literally like three days after he retired, he said that you know his retirement was a day-to-day thing. So it's not like it was a big surprise, but, um, you know, I, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I agree with you that it seems a little weird. It seems like a weird thing to bet on. It also seems that some people had some inside information on that and the sports books didn't. So, yeah, I mean, that's once again, as the NFL and all of these sports get more in bed with legalized gambling, it's going to be interesting to see how stuff like this plays out, you know? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like I said, the next five years or so is going to show a lot with this gambling. I, I I sadly think you're going to see some more players get wrapped up in into some of the uh, involvement in gambling, and uh, you know to what level we'll see where this goes, and more importantly, see how leagues react to that stuff. Yep, no, I agree, Phil. Um, I appreciate your efforts here in Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 16. It's time to come to an end. Oh, boy, I hate to see that, but uh, I'll see you next week. Okay, see you next week. Who knows? Maybe I'll talk to you before then. Sweet Blossom, come on, under the willow. We can have high times if you look back. We can discover the wonders of nature. Rolling in the brushes down by the riverside.